I've been looking looking forward to this for for quite some time. Too fun. Yeah. So um, now, I think the first time I, I heard about you, um, uh, somebody gave me a little uh, packet, uh, a little handout that you had written, and mm-hmm. then I thought, like, who is this guy? Because it, it was really just kind of this wild kind of thing, you know, <laughs> yes. this wild kind of experience or something. And then I just remember thinking, like, I don't know, Harold Everly, I don't know. And then I was at um, uh, James Berkeley's funeral. Oh, yes. And, and you were there, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was you. And you went yeah. up and you just did this beautiful kind of exhortation and this this thing. I think, actually, I think you spoke on grief <laughs> and, okay. how to, and how to grieve. Cool. And I thought it was really just, just I, I said to my dad, who is that guy? He mm-hmm. goes, that's Harold Everly. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and I thought in my heart, I think I like him. <laughs> you know, but this is actually our first time sure. really, Talking. really connecting. It is. I'm just actually going to turn off the okay. air condition real quick. Great. Good. And, you know, one of the things I was going to say is, it seems like the different things that I've heard that you've been teaching, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, initially, it's so kind of it's new radical. and different yes. and radical and stretching. Yes. But I've noticed that usually about, I don't know, you might have this number, but usually about 10 years after the time <laughs> that you start preaching, teaching it. Yeah, everybody. Yes. Every, it's like it's like common sense for, for, for everybody. <laughs> that drives me crazy. What is it, like 10 years ahead of yeah, your time or 14 well, years or the, 20 years? Or? The fivefold ministry was about 10 years. Yeah, because you wrote a yep. book called uh, like The New Wineskin right, or something. Complete Wineskin, yeah. That was the first one. No one wanted it for the first five years. Yeah. And then all, but it's all your uh, thirty opti- languages. Optimist, now. Optimistic yes. eschatology. Yes. Like, who's ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> who's heard of such a thing? <laughs> that took a while, too. You get crucified for the first year. <laughs> and then everybody likes it after a while. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I'll, I'm also thinking of, of a teaching I saw you do online. Mm-hmm. On, I, I, and I don't remember the name of it, but essentially, I think you were saying, here is, here's a principle. It's like a grace principle, yes. and if you understand it, you don't have to sin anymore. Yes. And I remember when I heard that, I thought, "What? Yes. Like what? How? How can you? Yes. How can you say, say such that. a thing yes. that you don't have to sin?" Yes. But I still remember that teaching. Yeah. I saw the shower analogy. Yes. I still remember grace. the 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 police to officer you, analogy. Cool. I've stolen yes. that analogy. I've used it's that. You know, different it's, than mercy, grace is. It's such a good thing. Got to redefine grace. Yeah. It's the empowering of God. Come on. Hey, let's dive in there. Let's let's okay, talk. Cool. Let's talk about grace. <laughs> we can talk about anything you want. <laughs> so when you look back, when yeah. you look back at like let's just call it an adjustment. Yeah. You know, I can kind of start us here. Um, between what the church in the eighties mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this scandalous message of grace yes. that started to pop up at the end of the nineties yeah. and it shook everybody up yes. because of this whole concept of hyper grace. Yes. Now that we've kind of ridden through the wake of that yeah. and you look back um uh, uh and, and some people are still struggling with this idea of yes. of grace mm-hmm. hyper grace whatever else what what's kind of your where do you think the church is at right now with her understanding of grace have we gone too far have we not gone far <laughs> enough like what, what, do you, what do you think yeah so i mean first god revealed himself as good you know that was a major revelation it doesn't sound like it but the church did not have a concept of God being all loving till the healing movement really helped us understand. And then it was followed by the grace message. But to me, the grace message can't even be understood until we redefine grace. Mm. The word grace has been used as unmerited favor. And because of the Protestant Reformation, it was contrasted with law, grace and law, grace yep. and law, grace yep. and law. But if you make that contrast, grace and law, you are implying that grace is the absence of law or it's the opposite of law. Right. When that's not a good contrast. Right. Grace, 
definition I have most embraced, the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who God created you to be. So that's not the opposite of law. When the Protestant Reformation contrasted grace and law, grace and law, it was really arguing about how are you saved? Are mm-hmm. you saved by obeying the law or by grace? And that was an important transition 500 years ago that we get away from the law, trying to earn our salvation and realize it's grace. But for 500 years, we kept contrasting the two and almost came up with a definition of grace as the opposite of law. Wow. Therefore, most people under the influence of that way of thinking would say abundance of grace is the removal of all laws, taking all laws off people. Mm. When in reality, that has nothing to do with grace. Wow. That was just an important distinction, not a contrast, but a distinction between two ways people try to get to heaven through law or grace. But they aren't contrasted, they're a distinction. So I have to make sure people understand because if I'm a preacher saying, hey, grace can give you the power to live victoriously. Well, if someone who's listening to me has a definition of unmerited favor, they're thinking the absence of law yeah. can help you overcome sin. Yeah. It's just not true. The absence yeah. of law will not help you overcome sin. Yeah. But if your definition of grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling to be who God created you to be, that grace can give you power to overcome sin. That's so good. In fact, I've, I've heard it defined close to that, but yep. not quite like that. Mm-hmm. The the in, the empowering presence. Yeah, again. the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who God created you to be. Yeah. So the second part of it, though, is understanding that uh, again, the Protestant Reformation made us think of grace as a something necessary for the salvation experience, a mm-hmm. one-time event. Yeah. Then when Pentecostal came around, there was like two acts of grace salvation and then filled with the spirit both of those are just too narrow the grace is flowing from god 24 hours a day seven days a week and until you learn how to receive it constantly you haven't quite grasped his empowering presence is right now coming into us so we've got to help people understand grace before we can tell them the outcome the conclusion of receiving grace that it will empower you to overcome sin you can't even give them that conclusion until you've defined what grace is that it's an empowering presence and it's 24 hours a day seven days a week because people will misunderstand our conclusion if we have the wrong definition of grace yeah that's really good and also that ties back to this whole contrast between grace and mercy because yes. most people define grace actually as mercy yes so they think oh, i screwed up but thank yep. god there's grace but actually what they're re- referring to is thank god there's mercy yes and you were the first person i ever heard that actually drew out so clearly the difference between yes. grace grace and mercy yeah mercy deals with the past grace deals with the present and the future but some people, they think, well, God, I need grace. I need grace. They're thinking God is going to forgive your sins by grace. That's not the issue. That's mercy. Mercy yeah. forgives sin, deals with the past. Grace is an empowering presence to live right now and to live for the future. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and it really seems like there's been like a wave of not just grace theology, but yes. actually like a wave of like a grace revelation is. that is slowly sleep, like yes. seeped into the fabric of the church. Yes, you know? it is. So even people that have rejected yep. any sort of new grace theology yep. are finding themselves, I think, far more gracious yes. than perhaps they've ever been. It is. <laughs> and I would probably go back to first, God was revealing his goodness. Um, and I think that had a lot of effect on people becoming more gracious, yeah. more able to realize God's good. He can give me grace all the time. He is a good God constantly providing for me what I need. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, well, I'm thinking about, so my, my background, yeah. third generation, assemblies of God. Yes. So we're not actually, we're not in the assemblies in, in, anymore, yep. but, mm-hmm. um, but I was, I was credentialed and ordained with the assemblies. Yes. And um, so born into that structure, being a, ch- a child born in 1982, yes. where my parents actually signed covenants yep. um, uh, uh, to certain types of behavior sure. uh, because of, they were deemed worldly, you know? Yep. And so everything from, you can imagine from, you know, tobacco to going yes. to movies right. to, to even, to even have 
having a sip of wine would yep. could get you yes. at that time your yep. credentials revoked maybe even still now i don't yep. I, mm-hmm. you know uh but it was it there was this set of ideas as far as what's worldly and what's not yep. so remember my dad uh, uh got, somebody gave him a book by um uh is it uh you know this the guy over in singapore the grace yeah, right. uh prince yeah uh, um, yeah joseph prince. joseph prince yeah, yes, yeah, yeah right and my dad it was like he got saved yeah, it's all over he's again. like how come i've never heard, it <laughs> heard like this right. I've, been, I've been in yes. ministry for 30 years True. yes and um, <laughs> but i imagine for some people when they when they come into this understanding of grace yes for, uh, and this understanding of um you know the father's love for them yes. that sometimes maybe there's this place of feeling so free from the confines of the law exactly that i think sometimes it's easy to skip a step and realize wait yes. this is here to empower me not to sin yeah uh versus almost kind of like hey I, i'm a son i can do whatever i want <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know? that's the confusion place and a lot of times you know prince has a good definition of grace. He's talking about the empowering presence. But if you get a million people watching him on television, a lot of those million people have the old definition of grace, that it's the opposite of law. So they're watching him on TV thinking, I'm gonna get under grace and out from under law. Yeah, yeah. That's not what it's about. Yeah. If you get under grace, you're getting under the power, you're getting under the love, you're getting under this nature, you're getting under the flow that's getting you so in love with God, you don't wanna sin. Yeah, yeah, amen. So you're, amen. then you're free of law, not because you're abandoned law. It's because you don't need it anymore. Because you're so in love with him, you know, you're acting out of love. Hey, you know, what do you think about this? <laughs> I've been playing with this thought, you know, because Paul talks about how like the law almost acts like training wheels for us, sure. you know, like for for babies. Yes. When you're a baby, it's almost like there's a place for the law because yeah. I've been playing with this idea of like um, the 12 step program. Yes. And sometimes um, it's easy to kind of mock the idea of, yeah. hi, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Right. right. Yeah. So sometimes it's it's easy to kind of mock that. Like, no, you're not an alcoholic. You're a son. Yes. Who's wrestling with this form of addiction. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also um, uh, what, what I've been wondering is this place of of i wonder if if it's not if it's premature to judge that kind of thing realizing that those are almost like babies there yeah. in that place that almost need a form yes. of healthy legalism yeah. until they come into freedom what do you think about like 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 in yeah. a, that's not something i've said, for, said from the pulpit yet or something right. you know yeah i'm usually like you're not an right. you're not a sex addict right. you're a son yeah 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 <laughs> but but uh, i've been thinking about that like that place of sometimes yes. like uh uh, where the law almost is like a is like a a, a pucky yes. like a soother blanket like all these different baby analogies sure. like it yep. it feels safe yes. for a time i mean yep. what do you think so i still have to go back to the Protestant reformation because we contrasted grace and law mm-hmm. that was the biggest contrast okay. in theology because they're trying to make the point you're not saved by keeping law you're saved by grace mm-hmm. that was an important point but if you think of, well, grace is the answer, grace is the answer, you're going to think law is bad. Okay. That's what yeah. the Protestant Reformation did. It gave yeah. us a misconception that law is bad. It should be rejected. That's really good. Law is not bad. Right. In fact, in the Old Testament, God gave the law. The law, in fact, is a form of grace. The law is not the fullness of God's grace. It's not the full expression of God's love. But have a God who would give you rules. Mm. Okay, contrast that with living in a religion where you never know what God's desire is. You never know what his rules are. Mm -hmm. You'll live your entire life not knowing if you're pleasing to him. Law is a starting point. It's yes, it leads us as a tutor to Christ, it says, but laws, the Jewish people honored the law as a gift from God. And we as Protestants lose that because of our contradiction, our contrast yeah. between grace and law. Yeah. Um, and Paul didn't contrast the two in the sense of one good's one bad. He would say the law's bad, may it never be. I would never say the law's bad. Wow, right. But a lot right, of Protestants right. think the law's bad. That's really good. That's really true. So then I would refer to uh, 1 Timothy, um, I believe it's in chapter 1 where it says, uh, but the law is not made for a righteous man, for the unholy and profane, for the, mm. and then it goes through a list of people, through the murderers and kidnappers and uh, people who do things. Now, so now we're moving from just living daily under the laws that God gives us to society has to have laws. Mm-hmm. We need laws and a government to run 
laws because they're not made for the righteous. They're made for the unholy and profane. They're kidnappers and liars and murderers. Mm -hmm. The government needs to enforce. And laws are a gift of God by grace. They're a form of grace. But they're not made for the righteous person. As soon as you get in a love relationship with God, you don't need those laws anymore. That's really good. So I'm always, it troubles me when I hear Christians talking about law, either the Jewish laws in the Old Testament is bad, mm-hmm. or even laws today is bad. They're yeah. not, they're necessary. And so I now come back to the alcoholic. Mm-hmm. There's a time when people actually need to put themselves under some rules. There's some laws. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to be careful with the word law. Okay. Because it's a bad connotation in Protestant thought. Okay. Sure. Not it's in the too Bible. Much, too much baggage. Too much baggage. So let's give it that word. Right. The Bible doesn't give it a bad connotation. It gives the word legalism a bad connotation. Thinking you have to keep the law to please God. That's bad. But it's the thinking you please God by law. It's not law's not bad. It is the thinking that this is how you please God that mm-hmm. is bad. Law is a good thing, whether it's society. But sometimes you'll find yourself in an area of your life that you cannot conquer. That's right. That's right. That's right. You may need to submit yourself. Like we just had, you know, a brother who got in some problem, a minister got in some trouble. Mm-hmm. And was removed from his position as a minister. Mm-hmm. Well, what should we do? Well, um, because I believe law is good, I think it's a good thing to put him into a place of submission for a time. Not in all areas of life, sure. but in this area of his life. The law is not made for the righteous, but it is for those who can't control themselves. Wow. And even the whole Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous they've got some great principles that they teach but sometimes christians just abandon all principles thinking law is bad when that's just not the way to live there's certain areas in my life where i put myself under certain laws yeah you know yeah. the time when i wasn't reading scripture so i put myself under some law for a while wow yeah that's grace good. that's good the grace of the law helped me now to love it <laughs> yeah so it's not it's not condemning you but no. it's setting a, 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 a higher standard, yes. and like you said initially, that grace empowers you yes. to basically accomplish an, what could be an impossible standard without yeah. grace. Yes. But it's like uh, the law raises uh, raises your potential, yes. raises and, then you, it. and then you can align yourself according with, to that potential. Yes. Uh, that's really good. That's really helpful. And I think everybody does it whether they realize it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I've got rules on myself. Well, I'm not going to lose my temper. You know? Yeah. I'm not going to look at bad pictures. Yep. yep. You know, I'm not going to do that. They're right. laws. Right. Those are real laws. That's right. I hope I never have to use the laws on myself. Because right. I'm so in love with God. Yeah. I'm not even pulled toward those. Yeah. But you know what? I still have checks inside of me. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So good. So good. Laws are not bad. Amen. It is the use of laws to try please God that's bad. Yeah. And I think it's not not even so much the fear of the law, maybe as much like, okay, speaking for myself. It's not so much a fear of the law, yes. Because I, I have like this reverential yes. love for the law, but I think sometimes that there's this fear of legalism, yes, legalism, where it's it's almost like oh, I don't want to associate with that because yes. it it reminds me too much yep. of kind of the the uh, nominal holiness yes, kind of like you know holiness in name only yes, if you will right. can satisfy these objectives. Yep. Do this, do this, do yeah, this. Yeah, and so sometimes I wonder if there's yep. if there's a, there uh, if we experience that a little bit yep. with maybe the next with some of the next gen that we're getting a revelation of grace yes. and saying this is our this is our um, our revolution our our throwing off of yes. a. Of, of the legalistic objectives or, or yep. agendas, and it, and 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 it began to flirt perhaps with even with even rebellion and, yes. and, and an anti kind of religious religious kind of thing. You, you know, yeah. But we're cautious of that. We don't want to slip from law into that lifestyle or into the difficulties that come out of the law. But again, we can't condemn the law. There's there's some grace in law. Yeah, and hitting hitting on this. I'm thinking about like like any sort of uh, revolutionary or any sort of like, uh, uh, especially when it, when it comes to theologians yes. and and people that are that are getting these truths that are bringing a tremendous amount of freedom. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes 
when we hear a regurgitated message yes. through somebody within the tribe, yeah. but it's it's ever so distorted. Yeah. It's easy to make a judgment on the entire on the entire movement. It is, and then when you actually go directly to the rabbi, and there's there's yes. clarity and that and that, that that kind of thing. When it comes to the the this YouTube era that we're in yeah. now, and this mm-hmm. in this uh, the media, this this media era that just continues to unfold. Yeah. Uh, what kind of responsibility do you see on the online rabbis that oh, are yes. that are leading <laughs> these huge tribes yes. where there's a certain amount of separation there? And what kind of do you think that there's gonna that there's gonna be almost uh, uh, some sort of needed accountability or some sort of uh, greater conversations that 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 some that the online rabbis are having for the understanding of their tribes. Yes. So you're using the, the <laughs> word rabbi to refer to any spiritual leader, yes, not Jewish. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor, poor, poor word choice. But no, you know. but it's a good yeah. because it implies somebody who's promoting themselves, rabbi, which is a little bit in the elevated. Well, you know, come and follow yes. me, come literally, follow, yes. literally on Twitter or it Facebook, is, and yes, you know. it is. <laughs> well, I got some struggles though with okay. okay what is the body? Yeah, you know okay. that's a huge issue today. Is trying to figure out what the church is supposed good, to be. Good, good. And we're going to have to scrap some of the things of the past. Okay, yep. so um, I no longer think of the church as the building or the people in the building. Yeah. I think of it as the people of God in the community. It's good going to a lot of different buildings, meeting buildings. I, I, I want to think that way. It's good. Um, but then. Uh, there's a lot of things from the past, like whose covering are you under? As soon as you start talking about accountability. Sure. Okay. Now the word covering in the Bible, it's only used, you know, for animal skin coverings or in the sense of, are you under covering? The only place is first Corinthians 10, where it talks about a man and a woman. And there it says an abomination for man to have a covering. Okay. Okay. That's the only place in the Bible where the word covering is used in the sense of submission. Okay, got it. And there it says it's an abomination. Yep. (laughs) Okay. I'm with you. I'm just trying to point out, you know, you cannot develop from Scripture a covering doctrine, okay? Got it. I want to get away from that word. Sure, sure. I believe in accountability, fellowship. I believe if we're not in open fellowship, we're dangerous. We're getting out out there okay um i believe that when we enter someone's ministry we have to be under their authority mm-hmm. we're bowing to the authority of that place um whenever i come minister at church i am bowing yielding to the authority of sure. that place sure. okay so i believe in authority but the word covering is used wrongly to yeah. me you're covering okay but you have to be in communion with people to be healthy mm-hmm. um like it says in first john if anyone hates the brethren they'll fall into darkness i think as soon as you hate the church you're slipping into darkness okay and there was a time in my life that i started getting angry at the church mm-hmm. um you know 41 years of ministry uh, there was a time wow. after we passed it for six years and then we started traveling, wow. I started getting angry at the church. I didn't realize it was slipping in darkness, but I was getting angry at the church. It wasn't until about four years later I realized, man, I, I'm getting deceived about things. Wow. So it's kind of like an alarm clock going off. If you're angry at the brethren, angry at the church, even there must be a careful, when people make excuses for their anger, say, well, I reject the organized church. Mm, totally. Uh, there, there's something in that that's troubling. Yeah. Yeah, there's an organization that I question. But I think people say that to excuse themselves, to say I love the real church, but I'm, I'm justified in hating this thing. Totally. I think sometimes they're justifying bad heart, a bad heart toward people who are organized. But I think most people in the body of Christ are trying their best. Mm-hmm. We make a lot of messes, but we have to have a consciousness that we're trying our best. So trying to rethink this whole church thing. Um, when Jesus was bothered by the disciples and the disciples says, hey, there's a man over there baptizing more people than we are. Jesus says, leave him alone. Mm-hmm. If he's not with us, he's against us. And he cannot continue working miracles and not soon be with us. That's right. That was Jesus' attitude. That's I don't right. think That's we cool. can force other people to get under 
authority. You can talk to them, you can encourage them, but the whole attitude of trying to force people who are out there under our authority, there's something not healthy about that. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I don't like that pressure to push, to oppress. It's just not, doesn't seem to me the way God does things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess what what my question was geared at was yeah. more towards um, new teaching, okay. where it's not really being delivered yeah. from a uh, from a platform where we're actually in the same room. Right. You, you see, for yes. like ever since yeah, ever since like the history of the church, if yes. you you could teach something and people disagreed, yeah. they could interrupt you, they could walk yes. up to you, they could talk to you, they could schedule a meeting. Yes. But for the very first time, yeah. you know, maybe in in church history, yes, um, I can I can subscribe to teaching yeah. uh, uh, to uh, all the way across the world to yeah. to, to, to a pre, to a pastor or teacher on the East Coast yeah. and never never be in the same room. Yes, and and that's kind of where I'm wondering it, it's almost like there are these let's just call them churches almost yep. like online yeah. churches or online communities mm -hmm. where i'm wondering um if, if if there needs to be a greater gravity on uh some of the weaknesses yes. of, of because this online thing isn't going away right but revelation is increasing yeah and so that's where i'm wondering um uh, if 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 kind of the the accountability needs to look yeah. different for and, and I'm asking you this because you're like a yeah. teacher of teachers and also have great appreciation for technology and media. Yeah. It's always been a big part of your mm -hmm. of your office that yeah. I've noticed is is integrating media and then revelation. Yeah. You know and yeah. um, and I see you walking out really well, but I'm just wondering as things continue to increase and as um, more and more. And I guess that's the other thing is nowadays for the very first time anybody can have a, t a, a television channel. Yes, <laughs> anyone, right. anyone can. can anyone can have a platform. Yes, yeah. And that's where I'm wondering if if uh, 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 if there are some of the behind the scenes conversations yes. that are taking place as far as yeah. what is community like what is that what, yeah. what is the like you said what, what is what is what is the what is, what the, is church? the church yes exactly you know, what is the body of Christ yes. yep. and how can I disciple you if yeah. I don't know you yes if I don't really even know you exist exactly. I mean I, I might have noticed your like yep. one out of three thousand likes or something right. yeah but so I think it's it's presenting some very interesting challenges it sure is. you know for yep. the church so share a few things you get back you share too yeah absolutely so one thing I've got different way of viewing John 10 10 where it says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy mm -hmm. but Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly now usually I hear a lot of Christians say the thief is Satan comes to steal kill and destroy okay but Satan's not there he's not mentioned in that chapter interesting interesting not once is he mentioned in any of the surrounding chapters either people okay? are like that's totally Satan <laughs> right that's what they say <laughs> what are you doing Harold <laughs> so you read John chapter 10 that's where it's at verse 10 is the key but the context is that Jesus is the good shepherd but the door of the sheep it's not just jesus okay but he says the thief is anyone who comes to the flock not through the door that's what the thief is not satan okay. the thief is anybody who comes to the sheep but not through the shepherd wow so wow. i'm traveling around you know for over 35 years a lot yeah. of churches a hit if i hit a church and say i'm teaching everything's good pastor likes me yeah then i realize he's not receiving okay if I just get frustrated, the pastor kind of give him a push off wow, and start going. feeding the people wow. where I want them to go, independent of the shepherd, I believe I am the thief stealing, wow. killing, and destroying. Wow. That's what Jesus was teaching literally there. That's fascinating. Yes. It's the thief is someone who comes around the shepherd, doesn't go through the door. So in my ministry, you know all these 41 years when i'm ministering in group i saw a time in my life when i was doing that when i was talking about getting angry at the church yeah i thought yeah. everybody's lukewarm nobody's yeah. getting it so i'm just gonna feed who's hungry and i rationalized it but what i'm doing is i would get a group in the church to like me to bond with me but then i'm leaving i'm going out of town i'm not accepting responsibility to disciple them now they're no longer content with their pastor you know what i just deceived i destroyed i stole i'm destroying that body wow john 10 is about destroying the sheep and if you take the hearts away from the shepherd you are stealing destroying dividing 
So powerful. I see me doing that. Yeah. And I really got shaken up once when, okay, we were traveling a lot of churches, one after the other. And there was a pattern set. As a traveling minister, you can tell your best stories. You can tell you know, your best sermons, because you're not the local pastor who's got to come up with the same, a good message every Sunday. Right. It's easier for a traveling minister. Plus, they've got stories because they get to go out around the world, okay? So it was easy for me to show up, and you can kind of shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's easy <laughs> to actually win the hearts of people. Because you can be the shining boy wow. when the pastors are every Sunday. Wow! So I, w- I realized, man, these people love me, and I was kind of on that. And so this was, you know, especially around 25 years ago, I was coming out of this. Linda and I, my wife and I, went home. We went to a movie, and you might remember it. It was uh, Clint Eastwood was a photographer. And he was going around taking pictures of bridges, covered bridges, uh, brid- bridges that go over rivers, the covered bridges. And he was writing a story for a magazine on it. And he was out in the farmland in the mid- middle America. And he stayed in a farmer's house. And the farmer was gone, but the wife was there. Anyway, he had a romance with her. Yeah. So that's what the movie is. Pretty famous movie. And he has this exciting life traveling the world taking pictures being a photographer she's at home stuck in a farmhouse her husband's a boring farmer and i don't say that about farmers i just say comparative to somebody who's traveling you're there every week every day okay well they have a relationship but now by the end of the movie he's got to move on to the next town next travel wherever he's going to do his famous travel and all that and at the end of the show, they show her really late in her life, and she's pulling out some notes that he had sent through the years, love letters. And she was dreaming about it, but her husband, the farmer, was back there. And you could just see she was still longing for the photographer after all those years, and somehow that was stealing her relationship with her husband. The dream of that affair destroyed the relationship with the husband for all those years and as i come home and watch they says you know what as a traveling minister sometimes i do that i'm going into a church i can tell all these fancy stories i can get them to love me well the pastor is the farmer staying there working and then i leave i wonder how many of them are dissatisfied now with their local church they're now wishing that they could have what this traveling minister had, telling about miracles and healings and all that. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was like having an affair with the congregation and stealing the hearts of the people and leaving the pastor there. Now, when I realized that, I had to completely change my ministry. Um, but here we have it happening on a bigger scale through the internet. Wow. Wow. There are some people, not everybody on the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got something on the internet. I've mm-hmm. got something on the internet. I've got a television. You've got television. So um, if we are taking the hearts away people from their shepherds, we're, end result is we're stealing and destroying and killing. Um, we need to have a realization of how much responsibility there is with people and the hearts of people. Wow. Is the church getting better or worse? There are some traveling ministers who, where they go, they leave devastation. The churches split, people leave because the people can never be satisfied again because this traveling minister told them about miracles and healings mm. and all that, and the pastor can never measure up. Mm. Same thing online. Yeah. You can start dangling in front of the people things that you see at the best places in the world, tell all the stories. And, uh, I don't know, it was just a wake-up call years ago saying, I pray, God, please let me help this church. Father, I want these people to love their senior minister more than they love me. And there have been times when I would feel the people starting to love me too much, and I have actually preached a bad message on purpose. (laughs) There's been some churches where I would purposely say things that I know are wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Because wow. I don't want to be guilty. Wow. I want them to love their pastor more than they love me. Wow. Um, 
And here I see certain leaders that I see are trying to sway the hearts and win hearts. And it just worries me that there's a judgment day coming, you know? Yeah. These are God's people. Wow. Wow. That's so good. That's really, really good. But it's just serious stuff. Yeah, it is. When we can broadcast into everybody's home. Right. Right, right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, it, especially the revelation of that the thief there isn't yes. isn't Satan. It's not Satan, and that it and that sometimes it could actually be us. It can be me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it, can, it has been me. Yeah, yeah. If, if, yes. And so I think that's really helpful. Yeah. You know, and as you're talking, because we've been talking a little bit about like the responsibility of a teacher, but yes. also, um, I, I recognize that. that um, that if we were to talk about titles yes. and offices, yeah. I don't know exactly what, what I'd slap on you. You know, yeah. you're mm-hmm. kind of, um, and so I'd love to, and I know you'll be teaching on that here this weekend, perhaps about fivefold ministry. And I know that, that you've been, you, you, you've been a pioneer in that, but where do you think, where do you think we're, uh, we're missing it right now in our mm-hmm. kind of charismatic present day understanding of fivefold ministry? So, of course, I'm very strong, wanting apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the church. Okay, I think in the American culture, sometimes we want it more hierarchical than it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different cultures around the world that are more hierarchical than ours. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you teach fivefold ministry, like in Africa, which is very hierarchical, mm-hmm. they insert it into their hierarchical pattern and put the one person way above the others it's a little bit troubling um and the best illustration i have of how should the fivefold relate to each other is something that happened in the southern part of africa so we spent 17 years back and forth to africa we were really involved there well weren't present but i was in tune with what was going on in southern part of africa where the elephant herds Mm -hmm. and what happened was the government allowed hunters to come in and kill all the male old elephants the greatest ones as trophies they went through and killed them Mm -hmm. in one week well immediately the young males in the herds went crazy they went wild for over a year, those wow. young males were killing rhinos, going through villages, just destroying them. They didn't, government didn't know what to do. How can they get these things back under control? Mm-hmm. Tried everything. Well, finally, somebody got the idea. Let's go in the northern part of Africa, not all the way north, about three quarters up, where there's some elephants. Get the oldest ones we can, bring them down. Wow. The day the old ones arrived, the young males went at peace. Wow. wow. No more killing. Just like that. Wow. The presence of the old brought peace to the herds. That picture to me is one of the best pictures of how should the community of God's people be. We need elephants in our life. Mm. Not for hierarchical, but the presence. The presence of elephants. And we don't need one elephant, we need several elephants. We need somebody in our life who represents what a good marriage is, somebody who represents how to help finances, somebody who represents integrity and truth, somebody you just because you are a stronger human being when you have a relationship with somebody with strength. So, yes, within the local church, there has to be an authority structure that mm-hmm. you enter in. But the bigger picture is the community of God in the region and we need to honor our elephants in the midst. And sometimes they have no position, no title. Sometimes it's Sister Susie, Grandma, Uncle. It's just somebody out there. And I think that's how the natural family is. The natural family, when there's extended family around, just the presence of your relationships causes you to be a healthier person. So I'm really good. careful about this hierarchical thing and even titles Mm -hmm. so finally i would say like i'm careful with titles because jesus warned don't let anybody call you rabbi father Mm -hmm. or teacher Mm -hmm. so those are not titles in the secular he was warning about spiritual titles and he says because you only have one father so the purpose is no anything that would replace father god that i might put in that place which be a spiritual role he's not saying don't use police officer titles, you know, senator, president. We can use all those titles. But when it comes to somebody who you're putting in a position of spiritual, you can never allow them to take any kind of God role. That's when you're violating it. Do not allow it because you only have one Father God and you're all brothers. So we're going to maintain that. So I don't like to use titles. I like to talk about roles. Mm -hmm. Like when Paul talks about the deacons and elders, 
Those are roles. Mm -hmm. You can fill it. Even when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm fulfilling the role of apostle. There's nowhere you can find apostle Paul, apostle Peter. No, it's Peter who is an apostle. That's good. I want to use those terminology even today that um, I'm troubled when we call somebody apostle this or apostle that. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you get back to role, it's not a title where you are promoting yourself you're actually is this person fulfilling the role of apostle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can't if you're going to say it everybody's going to look are you fulfilling the role yeah so um i think we can take anything and make it a bad thing with our hearts we can turn a bad teaching into bad pro- fruit yeah yeah so i want to see the fivefold ministry restored I want to see the community of God's people loving each other. I want to see elephants among us instead of a hierarchy that's being structured. Yeah. 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 Really well said. Really well said. You know, I'm thinking about when I first stepped into pastoral ministry. So I was installed here in 2009. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I remember kind of, uh, uh, integrating a bit with kind of the the more of the charismatic kind sure. of strain that's here in Seattle, yeah. and one of the weird things I realized is that there there really weren't any pastors within our strain because they're all they're all right. apostles. <laughs> yeah, because right. why why be a pastor right. when you can be an apostle? <laughs> right. Yes. right, like because yes. apostles are in charge. They are. You Let's know? give me one. There. That's right. And yes. pastors come underneath underneath apostles. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I was like, who do I? What do I yeah. gotta do to get an apostle? Yes. You know, badge around here. Yes. You know, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they can sign up online or, yes. uh, you know, um, but there's a good part. We need many pastors doing the pastoral work in yeah. the congregation. Yeah. Just pastoring just sounds so boring when, when you can like, yes. when you can be in the cockpit, Ooh, you know, yes. <laughs> it does. Yes. Yeah. And so there were all kinds, you know, and, and, and maybe there still are but all kinds of like apostolic networks and all yes. kinds. And, and I'm not yeah. dissing, dissing any of that, right. but I was, but I, but I, I've uh, still been, uh, really uh, uh, wrestling through and contending yeah. to see like uh, like uh, like uh, I want a, re- a revelation of, of of the apostle and the fruit yes that the fruit. That, that that could that could take place through through yes. an apostolic type culture and yes. definitely no doubt we're seeing that through um yeah. through Bethel and yes. just and, and their influence in Reading and giving the whole police Amazing. department raises and yeah, stuff, stuff like God. that you know I mean to me I would say that's, <laughs> that's the fruit yes. of of a, of a wine skin. Yes. And, um, and so like, so I'm really curious about yeah. functional yes. fivefold wine skins. Yes. Functional. So Harold, what have you seen? Yeah. Cause I know you have seen, I know there's, there's many, many more successful fivefold wine skins yeah, that you're seeing, perhaps maybe mm-hmm. in the church, maybe even out, outside of the, the church. I don't sure. know. But, yeah. um, uh, what are you seeing right now? That's just lighting yeah. you up. That's just exciting yeah. you as far as these, these, these wine skins that, that are beginning to emerge that yeah. are healthy. Yeah. So, you know, they're all over the world. Um, one specific area that people should be aware of though, when Peter Wagner kind of stepped out to lead, a coalition of apostles. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter's not alive anymore, but I would guess it was 15 years ago. Um, he started with about 500 apostles, and they had to show the proof of apostles that they have large followings of people. And they would get together once a year, usually you have to in at Texas. Least, at least 10,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun. Go ahead. Yes. Sorry. I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't an interruption. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Large followings. Twitter, yes. <laughs> uh, but they were from all over the world, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, it's still going by under other leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's, you know... There's well over a thousand, you know, I don't know if there's 4,000 or 5,000 apostles around the world that consider themselves part of it. Okay. Now, um, can't agree with everything they teach. Um, but they're trying. Sure. And a lot of them are in the marketplace rather than just in congregations. Okay. They have an apostolic. Now they use titles, apostle and thing. Sure. I'm not one for titles. I'm for roles and functions. Right. Right. Um, so you know, there's some things that they would do a little differently than I do, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. They're very conscious of the kingdom, which to me is part of the apostolic message, yeah, is to change society. And they are some of the most 
influential ones in the world as far as i'm concerned as far as really this this collection of of apostles underneath the now is that what uh is that what che on is now he was part of that but he has yeah he has his own apostolic network okay but he's also a member of this coalition okay peter wagner had started oh interesting so uh because i'm the i'm definitely familiar with peter wagner and 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 his coalition and and various leaders that are part of it yeah Uh, but i haven't realized perhaps the the influence that they are actually that they're having yeah so but it's like you know in south america a lot of the apostles down there some of them got over a million people under their charge wow yeah you know there's it's big it's really influential um but but again we have to be careful because whenever you're big you get attacked yeah and there's things on the internet of attacking different aspects of this sure they do have some people in executive places in our government today they've got people right up next to our president mm-hmm. they're there um so i'm excited what they've done but you know there's a lot of things that you yeah. know i go because they make me think big okay just by being around these people that's good that's good this is the number one reason that my wife and i go is that's good. they challenge me to take a nation and change a nation that's, that's apostolic awesome. to me. And whenever I come away from there, I just have bigger dreams, bigger possibilities. Is that a, uh, would you say that's a, a characteristic of, of knowing that you're perhaps in the presence of an apostle is because when you're with them, all of a sudden it's like everything opens up and you start yes. seeing, uh, you know, potential yes. for more. Apostles faith causes you to rise up that's good. and they can send you. So the yeah, word apostle really means good. a sent one. Yeah. Just in the presence, you feel like I can do this. Yeah. yeah. And if they tell you, now go do it, you just feel faith in you to go do it. Yeah, that's really good. You get apostle believing in you. It's amazing how much more you can accomplish in life. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Now, how about in the, in the area of the prophetic? What, what, what are we seeing right now? Um, uh, I, I'm really curious as to, to your perspective, because I'd say, I'd say there's, there's, there's such a diversity of prophetic models yeah, there that, is. that are flowing right now. Yes. Um, but are you, are you sensing kind of an overarching theme in the prophetic movement right now? Um, I'm not sure where to say it because, you know, the whole church has shifted. Like in my lifetime, at the start, it was just a pastor and a congregation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Maybe right. A, an associate or a youth pastor. Right. I mean, that's just not there anymore. Now, 90% of the people feel called to minister in the church in America. You know, if you're in a, our kind of churches, most of the people sitting in our churches feel they are called and they're doing it. That just wasn't true, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but even with the prophetic, you got so many prophetic people have risen up. They've appeared. They didn't exist, you know, in the open. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, they just wasn't around. So um, there's been a lot of mistakes made, too. Um, but there's a whole lot more maturity with the prophetic every year. Um, and there is a call, like you were talking about, accountability. Yeah, yeah. They're much more part of the body now. We used to, for a while, even think prophetics are the wild-eyed person that lives out in the mountains and only comes to town once a year. Yeah. Um, We don't usually think of the prophet that way anymore. We're usually thinking someone in our midst. It's true. That's sensitive spiritually. I'm, I'm glad for that shift. And then there are also... I recognize certain people who have a prophetic voice, like for the nation, mm-hmm. some that have it for the body of Christ, some that have it for a local church. Um, you know, there's much more of an awareness of where's this person's authority. And I kind of, I don't trust them as much when they get out of their authority. Interesting. You, you kind of learn yeah, they're really accurate about. in this right. area. Right. So I wish they'd stay in this area. When they kind of get out of their, their lane a little bit. Yeah, and you're like, it's a hey, bit confusing. Yeah. Let's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. But there are some people, they hear things about America. Others, they hear things about the church in America. Some about the government. Some about business. Um, but I like to see that. Um, people knowing the metron, you know, the Greek word, the measure of your influence. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Paul said, in second corinthians i think it's five ten. i would not go beyond the measure of my influence mm-hmm. um, but within my metron within my measure i will use my authority um, 
So it's really good. I mean, how do you know when you're starting to get outside of your Metron? Because I think that perhaps there's like a flirting that takes place because it's like the unknown and it's new and it's like maybe there's more to me that what meets the eye and then you get too far and like no, that's not me. That's not my call. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. But like, like what kind of red flags do you notice when when you're starting to kind of get outside of the grace that? So I I like the picture that Jesus talks about, you know, don't come sit at the head of the table. Okay. Go down and sit at the bottom of the table. Yeah. If you sit at the head, you're going to be told to move down. I think the first thing is if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. That's (laughs) right. You try shooting too high. It doesn't work. Humility happens. Humility happens. It does. It's amazing. It doesn't fail. Yeah. And it's best to minister down. And we're always telling people that by ministering down is you're not looking for someone way up there with a lot of authority. Wow. As soon as you're doing that, you're usually out of your metron. Mm. You got to, who wants your ministry? You know, that's who that's you got to really pour, pour your that's heart really into. Good. Pour your heart into who wants your ministry, and your ministry will grow. If you are pouring down, because the anointing flows downhill, water flows downhill. It's real hard to make water go uphill. It's very, very hard. Yeah. And people are always trying to get their gift to be used by somebody up. Yeah. Oh, if I can just prophesy to that person. Oh, if I can just give them a word. Those rarely produce the yeah. fruit. No, that's really, really good. Um, hey, if we could kind of switch gears, yep. just I'm, sure. I'm just trying to hit on as many we're things as I can since, since we're here. <laughs> yeah. And um, and uh, uh, there, there's a word that's been popping up a, uh, a lot recently, but now it's starting to actually occur within the church. And it's taken on different forms and yeah. different definitions. But it's almost one of these words that um, that when you hear, it gives you permission just to throw somebody right at, like you know, like well then they you know yeah. we're it's like permission to to cast an immediate <laughs> judgment. And the word is is universalism. Oh. Oh, yes. And and uh, and so I wanted to chat with you just as far as um, uh, maybe areas where things are going theologically yeah. uh, that are healthy, but it's easy to throw universalism on it. Yeah. Um, and 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 what you think about like what you think about what's happening within uh, within the body of Christ? Should we really mm-hmm. be on guard because of the the cultural push yes. that always lead always lead to heaven and to the G- yeah. to the Father? And um, so should we really be on guard? Uh, uh, about this um or, or you, you know so I, like so i just I thought that would be kind of an interesting be, yeah. thing to kind of ask Love you about to. as far as what you're yeah. seeing in that area yeah so uh about once a month um i'll lead a gathering of pastors somewhere in our country yeah and we will take you know 30 past senior pastors and just do theology we usually do it for about 10 hours wow and that is always one of the primary subjects because is it really? it's huge right now in our country right, in the united right. states so first of all um, universalism, a more common word that people identify with is ultimate reconciliation, meaning everyone will be reconciled to God. Everyone will be saved, that God will send no one to hell. Okay. Does that include Satan? Uh, if we say ultimate reconciliation, yes. Okay. They would even say Satan. Okay. Um, so, and there's some well-known teachers who are traveling around America holding conferences mm-hmm promoting this way of thinking okay um so i've had some clashes with them okay i i do not but the word universalism rather than ultimate reconciliation can mean something a little bit different okay because universalism can be used two different ways it can mean has jesus died universally for everyone mm-hmm. i believe he has died for everyone first john it says, and Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins and the sins of all of humanity. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Jesus did in his death make accommodate for every human being. So that universalism can be used just to talk about his death being universal. Or is that mean everyone will be universally saved? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's two different okay. implications. But if I just use ultimate reconciliation, I'm targeting this is referring everyone will be reconciled. Okay, no which matter I don't what. Yeah, no matter what. So I don't believe that. Okay. But I do believe Jesus has died for every human being. God does not want anybody to be saved, mm-hmm. but um, He has given us free will. Mm-hmm. And in free will, people can choose not to accept his love. That's a hard concept for some people because they think, won't God's love change every heart? Yeah. Yeah. But, and there's a famous book called Love Wins. 
implying that God's love will win every heart and turn it toward him. Okay, the scripture's full of examples, though, Mm -hmm. of people turning away, of God judging. Mm -hmm. So my understanding of what is judgment, John chapter 3, most people know verse 16, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so all can have eternal life and not perish. But then you go two verses later at 18, it says, and this is judgment, light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Right, right, right. Those who practice righteousness will come to the light, but those who hate the light will turn to the darkness lest their deeds be exposed. Right. Okay, so what is judgment? Jesus Christ, light. A day will come when all of humanity will stand before the light of Jesus Christ. It's the same light whether they're good or bad. Jesus is just light, and light is revelation, is truth, it is Amen. love, it yeah. is everything. Yeah. But whether that love feels good or bad to the individual depends on their heart. So it's not Jesus pointing out sins, it's Jesus revealing himself throughout all of creation. Mm. Boom. Mm-hmm. All of humanity stand before him. Those who turn away from the light lest their deeds be exposed. They, they say, I want my sin. Because if you stay in the light, if you turn to the light, you will be purged of your sins. You'll be purified and go through Jesus to the Father. But it's, it's, it does say they will turn away from the light. They don't want their deeds exposed. They mm-hmm. love their sins more than they love God. Wow, right. And so it's their choosing to turn away from God. So... Judgment is not him sending anybody anywhere. Okay. This is judgment, light. Wow. Light is what judgment is. Right. Jesus will fill all and be in all. Right. You and I are going to respond to the light, whether it's painful or whether it's beautiful. Wow. Depends on our heart. Wow. If we see that light, instantly we'll know he's beautiful. He's freedom. He's my answer. And those who've been practicing righteousness, those who've been orienting their heart, their life, looking for the light, Mm. when they see him, they'll go through Jesus the Father. So Jesus is the only way to the Father, um, but there are people who can turn away. So we've had a lot of confrontation with some of those who are teaching the ultimate reconciliation that everyone will turn to the light, everyone will be saved, Mm -hmm. um, because it from my perspective, denies free will. Yeah. It denies a whole lot of scriptures that talk about fearing God. Like in Matthew chapter 10, it says, fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of those verses. Yeah, that's right. You can't that's get right. rid of those. That's right. And so here we are. We are at a time in history when God's love is being emphasized. I'm so grateful for that. The pendulum has swung from God's a terrifying, consuming fire, and the pendulum has swung. We're more aware of his love. We're preaching about his love, but we can't get a fear, rid of fear of God. Right. There still has to be an element really in good. that yeah it's really good so let me ask you regarding your your, yep. your, your opinion on um on the opportunity for repentance after death yes and um you know and i even think of the the stories yep. uh and and let's just assume they're true the yep. countless stories where people actually literally die and, yes. and go to hell and then yep. They come back from from death because yes. somebody Aunt Susie was praying right. or something, yes, and, they, yes. and they come back and they repent and yes. they tell everybody about hell and they write yeah. a best selling book on it. Right. Yes. <laughs> Praise Ooh. the Lord! You know, yes. not only am I back, but I'm rich. Yes, you know? right. <laughs> I got a book. Um, sells. And so, uh, because I think I think for people to say yeah. an opportunity to repent yes. after death, no stinking way. <laughs> okay, but okay. if you get if you get resurrected from the dead, now you can, now we're what? okay with it. Yes, so, right. <laughs> so what do you what do you think yes. regarding opportunity yes. to, yeah. to respond? Yes, if maybe you didn't know or, or whatever. So I, I need to soften a little bit because we don't okay. know who's all listening to us. Yeah, okay. So you know, the majority of the church twenty years ago would never even hear the thought. Yeah, of a possibility of getting saved after. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who probably listen to your program who are still in that, have not even exposed to the thought. Hey, if they're still listening, you okay. guys are you guys are doing good. You're still okay. listening. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So good. you're bringing it up because it, it the ultimate reconciliation is people. The people who are teaching ultimate reconciliation that is one of their doctrines. 
saying that after you die, you can still repent. You can okay. turn toward the light and be saved after okay. after death salvation. So yeah. I'm just trying to make sure everybody's up caught up. Yeah, and, okay. and actually, I didn't realize that that was one of the doctrines yeah, of, all, of, of ultimate reconciliation is kind of the freedom to repent for everyone after death. So I didn't actually yeah. realize that. Okay. Yeah, so the, a lot of them would say a lot of the salvations happen after death. Okay. okay. Um, so it's like a second chance. Okay. Okay, now... I just described John 3, which says, this is judgment, light has come into the world. Okay. And I'm trying to get a picture saying, no, Jesus will fill all and be in all. We will turn our heart toward Jesus or away from Jesus. Right. Okay. So that is after death, you will stand before Jesus Christ. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I believe it's theologically inaccurate to say it's a second chance. Okay. No, because there in John 3, it says those who are practicing righteousness will turn to the light. It's not a second chance. It's while you were alive, you were already taking your heart and pointing it that way. You don't suddenly die and then get a second chance to turn your heart. No, it's while you were alive, you were turning to the light yeah. or you were turning toward darkness. Interesting. You're not going to change when you die. You're going across the death line with the same heart you had while you're alive. Wow. wow. But I believe some people who, while they were alive, were looking for the righteousness, looking for the light, but they never quite heard it. Yeah. When they see Jesus, that verse tells me there's still a chance. I don't say they're going to be saved. I say there's hope that if they were looking for the light while they were alive, there's a chance that when they see him, they'll say, you're the light. You're what I'm looking for. So it's not a second chance. The chance is while you're alive, your heart, where are you taking it? But, and you will stand before Jesus Christ and he's the only way. Okay. So ultimate reconciliation is though are saying you have a second chance to mm -hmm. even take your heart and turn it. And I don't see repentance as possible. Um, I'm seeing it right. says, no, it says those who love their sins will turn away from the light. Wow. It says what they will do, but it contrasts there the next verse. But those who are practicing righteousness will turn. It's making a distinction. In ultimate reconciliation, there is no distinction between the saved and the unsaved. You're just at a different stage of progression toward being saved. But that's not what the Bible shows. The Bible shows, no, there are people with dark hearts. That's there right. are some who are turning away from yeah. the light. They hate the light. That's right. That's right. So I don't want to call it a second chance. I want to say, though, everyone will stand before the light. Some who didn't hear of Jesus while they were alive, though, will behold him because they were looking for him and they will go through the light to the father on that moment wow that's awesome thank so, you thank you cool. for diving into that with me okay. i've never asked that question of anybody before but i thought hey harold harold can, <laughs> harold can handle it <laughs> we know? can jump out yeah, there come on come on so i really appreciate you also even just clarifying the difference between all ultimate reconciliation what i've heard yeah. uh technically uses like christian universalism yeah christian universalism. and so um yeah. so that that was very yeah very cool. helpful for you to be able to define those and then to yeah it helps very a little helpful. bit yeah thank you so much cool and um, you know, and uh, and I just appreciate you making the time for this. We've we've been in all kinds of stuff. How many books have you actually written? There's 32 books out You've there. You've written 32 yeah. books. Man, this guy's obsessive. That's I don't incredible. Know what he's do. So how many books are you writing right now? <laughs> I like, just finished one, so I'm starting another one now. What did you finish? What's it called? It's has God proven his existence. Has God proven his existence? I wrote it for our youth who are going off to university. A lot of them lose their faith. Yeah. It's really breaking my heart. Yeah. What happens to them at university? Yeah. The brainwashing that goes on. So this one was try to prepare them for to stop the brainwashing. That's so incredible. Submit is that it. already out yet? Or yep, it's out. That's incredible. Yeah. And is it on Amazon or do we go to yep. your website? Either one. It's okay. on both. And we'll make sure that we put um, uh, links to all your stuff in, cool. the, in the show notes. That's and definitely encourage everyone to make sure that you check out the show notes and make sure that you go um, to Harold and Linda's um, website because everything from their videos to um, to your books. I mean, how many pages? <laughs> I saw. I haven't read it. Big, thing. No, no your, your systematic <laughs> yes. theology book that yeah. you wrote. So that how was 900 pages. 900 pages. Yes, yes man. Now. But I'm now I got, I got Grudem up there. Yes, yes. So yours is going to be a little bit different than Grudem. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> okay. So my big thing is, though, I'm trying to separate Christianity from Western culture. Okay. We have a Western form of Christianity over here. Okay. And I'm traveling versus, nations versus all over. Versus an Eastern 
Well, you, versus uh, non-Western. Okay. Eastern isn't the answer either. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to separate our culture from Christianity, and most Christians have no idea how much Western culture is mixed in. Now, are you talking about just kind of our Americanism? Like, uh, no. No. Uh, okay. Going all the way back to Plato and Socrates, okay. Aristotle, that they seeded within Christianity certain ways of thinking. And so when we read the Bible as western people we're inserting the information in wrong places interesting interesting so that's what it is. i really i really want to read it i um when i came back to the lord so i that i went through a, a phase i wasn't in ministry when i hated the church but yeah. like like i you know went through a, 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 a more than a season it was, sure. it was a handful of years yeah. where where definitely one never could deny God yes, and his, yep. it, just too many incredible encounters. Sure, cool. loved him. Just yep. did not love his people. Right, definitely did not love pastors. Just yes. wanted nothing to do, <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, you right. know what I'm here you are. <laughs> yeah, but when I came back to the Lord, yeah. what really captured me yes. was. Um, was actually Mark Driscoll of Mars oh, Hill yes. because I'd never heard of anyone yep. um, go through books of the Bible chapter yep. by chapter, verse by verse, yes. and, and and talk about th- things. Like, I'm a young single guy. Yep. He's talking about drinking beer. He's talking yes. about the biblical view of sex. He's talking about everything yes. that I was into. Real. You know, n- yep. not that you know. Yep. Anyways, uh, but. Uh, 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 I'm like, this guy's incredible. I've never yes. heard the Bible. I've never heard Genesis taught this Ooh, way before. Beautiful. And I was, and so like, so I went yeah. in and I, uh, and I just took everything I could get. Yes. Anybody that he yep. recommended. So cool. I became yep. like this reformed yes. Baptocostal yes. kind, of, kind of thing. Got it. And I'm coming back here to SR. So I go yes. to church here during the day, yep. get my revival on, Shoot. my praise on, yes. go there at night and be like, this is where it's really at. Yeah. And Good so for, for yep. years, I was kind yes. of like, having to relearn and, yes. and Joe McIntyre helped me kind of oh, cough man. up some of the Great some stuff. of the Calvinism yes. type stuff that I was like yeah. you know because man I was like well Greg Daly who, yes. who will be mentioning tonight yeah. we would get in these debates because I was a full on depravitist <laughs> because I that made sense yes. to me yes right <laughs> I was like I get depravity I'm there I don't get, <laughs> totally I don't get right. I don't get I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus that that feels like it's not true <laughs> okay it's easier to grab the other one <laughs> totally totally you know so I yeah. would actually love to actually yeah. engage with some of your resources yeah, and, and even a future podcast where we could even dive into cool some of those things would be incredible. Yep. Harold Everly, you're amazing. Bless you. All right, bless you. <laughs> yes. Podcasts are definitely trending right now. There are so many brand new podcasts that are hitting the market. And I think that iTunes is kind of overwhelmed. And one of the ways that iTunes aggregates what's hip and relevant from the rest of the noise that's hitting the web is through ratings and reviews. A bunch of you have already taken the time to leave a rating and a review of this podcast. I just wanted to say thanks. You guys are incredible and you're so supportive and I love you. And if you haven't had a chance to take Take that minute or two to leave a review. If you do that, that'd be incredible. And I've created a shortcut to get you there. It's thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. You can give it one star, and that means that you think it's kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars, and that means that you think this thing be dope, be tight, be off the chain. So if you would take the minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine of you. Again, it's thedarrenshow.com. Thanks, guys.